The Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Land Trust. Did you know sportsmen spend over $5 billion annually in hunter and angler access fees? Land Trust is a platform that connects sportsmen with farmers and ranchers like you who have untapped profits just by providing access to their land. Go to landtrust.com slash BOA, as in business of agriculture, to see how much you might add to your bottom line. Well, greetings and welcome to another episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. You already heard that in the introduction. This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Land Trust. Also, I want to let you know that if you are a listener, I love that. Go ahead, SoundCloud, Stitchers, iTunes, Apple, wherever you get your audio podcast, please enjoy it there and share it with your non-ag and agricultural friends. But also go on YouTube, the Damian Mason channel. Just type in Damian Mason channel and hit subscribe. It'll really help me out a lot. More people will see and hear great messages and content like you're going to catch right here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. Got an interesting show for you today because I've got two equipment guys that also bring a big breadth of knowledge and background from agriculture in general. They are with Hudson, a John Deere dealership ownership group uh, in a few states. They're going to tell you all about that. But they're also guys that have been around agriculture a lot. So we're going to talk about what's happening in machinery, what's happening in farm equipment, and what that might mean for the industry in general, you know, trends that we're seeing there, size, horsepower, environmental issues, supply chain issues, what's happening at the farm level. Also, this gives us a read on farm finance. So I've got my man, Matt Ramage, right here is the VP of sales with Hudson. And then we've got Carl Hubner. Carl is the uh, VP of uh, Precision Agriculture. So welcome to the show, Mr. Matt Ramage. Thank you so much. And if, it, if you are watching this, you'll see that we're in an, in an unused uh, banquet, I'm sorry, a meeting room here in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Where I'm going to be the speaker for their uh, session that's uh, later on today to close out their meeting of all of their managers. So we uh, stole away a little moment here and we said, let's just talk about equipment. So, uh, Matt, give me real quickly the lowdown on what uh, Hudson is. Sure. So Hudson Incorporated is a privately owned John Deere dealer. We have 12 stores in what we call Hudson South. And then we have 18 stores in what we call Hudson, Michigan. So, all right. Um, all right, so uh, only John Deere. Only John Deere. Any short line stuff? We do carry a little bit of short line stuff, mostly like MacDon heads, maybe some tillage equipment, not much of anything else. All right, and then uh, Carl, your role, Precision Ag, that's something that we never even heard about. You know, Precision Ag was something that's uh, a term that came about in the last, really, what, decade or so? Talk to me about what your role is there at Hudson. Right. Um, so thanks for having me on. And you're right. Precision Ag has come a, a long way in a short period of time. And uh, the ground that we're going to cover over the next five years won't be anything like what we've covered in the past 10. Uh, so uh, mostly uh, the role that I'm in uh, comes around this term that uh, John Deere's coined called mainstreaming, where we really want to focus on uh, the newest, latest, greatest of equipment and how are we building this into the business uh, so service can service it and sales can sell it uh, and everyone can operate effectively on the this piece of equipment in the shortest period of time possible mainstreaming okay i like it all right so uh lots changed let's go ahead and just go from the very beginning okay you didn't come from neither of you guys grew up like some people that are in uh you know iron 
they were born like you know dad had a dealership and they were in there when they were four years old uh pushing their little toy toy, toy tractors around and that's it neither of you guys came from this business no absolutely not as a matter of fact we both have a history of agronomy okay and what are these agronomy people doing in an equipment dealership yeah so real quick on you since we have a common friend rob syke who's been on this very uh podcast multiple times uh the crazy albertan entrepreneur agricultural entrepreneur as he were uh had a company called agvisor uh, or at Agritrend before that, and you were an Agritrend person. Absolutely. Carl and I both served a period of time with the Agritrend folks. All right, so you are an agronomy person turned, always been around ag your whole career. We have. Both yep. of you. And then you turned into machinery people. When? Um, believe it or not, when John Deere decided that there was value in communicating um, increased yields through agronomy and the 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 term coined by John Deere back in 2011 was farm site and so they believed that you could create and and for lack of a better term stickiness with the customer if you could provide agronomic advice that resulted in return on investment then you could um, essentially have your customers buy out the other customers Right. I mean, the other producers in that area. So that was the, the, the philosophy. And we basically just brought that to a dealership level. OK, so when you guys came, how long have you guys been with Hudson? I've been there six years, Carl, 11. Yeah. So this this was a really a John Deere initiative that said we got to do more than just sell uh, horsepower. We got to do more than just sell green paint, which they're pretty damn effective at that. But then they said, we're going to talk about how we can actually do something different at the farm level. So what's that look like? Farm side, farm site? Right. So originally, uh, and keep in mind, uh, in the transition of becoming a technology company, there's many companies that have, uh, you know, had many different attempts at it. And, you know, I'd say FarmSite was kind of the first draft one. Uh, and that is, you know, turned into Operations Center, um, which it is now. It's free for, for customers to use. And I think really what that looks like now is understanding, hey, uh, we have good products and we're, and we're really good at product support or we even try to be very good at product support uh, even when we don't mean to be you know even through mistakes uh, but really we're going to have to transition away from just products and into solutions and understanding that um, with the technology options on this equipment now uh, if you're not built into the solution or how this is an effective solution for your farm and willing to change some of the culture uh, or bad cultures on your farm or be able to make some of the decisions uh, that this piece of machinery may be able to help you with from the data it's collecting, um, then it wasn't really an effective sell for you in the first place. So it's more of a solution sell, and that's where we're trying to really reorganize ourselves as a, as a dealership in a lot of ways. All right, let's talk about machinery in general. Since uh, you're both ag people uh, your whole career, but newer to the machinery, meaning you didn't grow up in it like some of these kids did. My observation, I talk about it in my book, Food Fear, which is the ag book. Uh, I talk about the fact that machinery has done one thing from the time I was from, from the time we invented it, but certainly from the time I was around. And Oliver, 1850, got delivered to our farm when I was about a kindergartner. It was like a seven-year-old, six-year-old tractor then. It's about a 120-horsepower tractor. Uh, you know, and, and that was not too uncommon. Didn't have a cab. And then, uh, then you know, the, the case 1370 showed up at our farm in about 1978. And it's like, yeah, man, this thing's pretty deluxe. 
And that looks like a quaint little piece of equipment today sure. because machinery has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I predict that it's going to start getting smaller and smaller as it becomes autonomous. But give me your thoughts about the history and then where we go with machinery, Matt. Sure. So, and you're exactly right. You you started with an 85 horsepower open station tractor. You progressed to a 120 horsepower Case 1370 with power shift transmission, lots of features and capability. The trend is there. The trend is to continue to get bigger with more and more creature comforts. Obviously, um, we've reduced a lot of the fatigue alone just by going to auto steer. Now it's about improving efficiencies of that machine with larger size, larger pieces of equipment. I foresee in the next 10 years the trend towards autonomy. That is a labor issue. We continue to struggle at the, at the producer level finding people that are capable yep. of running the technology and having the time to invest. A lot of people want eight hours in a shower now. They don't want to invest the time, even with the larger machinery, to spend all day or 14 hours or 16 hours trying to, to get a crop in the ground. I think the trend is there uh, to go to autonomy. Obviously, that would require less horsepower and more 24-hour-a-day Type of technology. Yeah, I, I see that happening. Also, all right. So you've been uh, you've been out here and you're on the precision side. We're going to get to that, but let's just go big picture. I, I've predicted that we're going to get smaller because I think that uh, these huge machines. First off, they break down the bridges. Our roads aren't set up for, to have a thirty ton machine going across them. Uh, you can't fit them down the road. Also, they squish the soil. Uh, you know, some of these huge machines, and it's because of efficiencies that they're so big, Carl. But if you get to where it's autonomous and you can have a fleet of them, is it smart? Is it, is it true that they'll get smaller like I predict? Yeah, so great question. And this is one that uh, is really speculated on a lot as far as where this is going to go. And I, I guess the best way to say it is the market's going to decide it. I think there's a lot of people right now that there's a lot of venture capital dollars that are going into this and there's a tremendous amount of new tech startup companies uh, that are pouring money into this. And, and I think the the best part about that is with this much excitement around it right now that um, it's like ships with a tide everything's going to rise and so what i mean by that is this machines are going to get smarter so even if you're uh, even if you're um, uh, you know a buyer and you don't care anything about full autonomy you are going to benefit from the money that is coming right. in right now because of advances in technology. Your machine is going to get smarter through software. Right. The advances in sensors, uh, the advancers in software code and developers that are coming in now. Yeah, so what you're saying is even the person that's not the early adopter is still benefiting exponentially because the person that's in front of them as the early adopter yeah. is bringing on nine new things, six of which are going to also yeah. rising tide floats well, all I, boats. No different than NASA, right? I mean, look at all the spinoff you know, products that they create out of that right and so when you have this tang one, would you say tang yeah i'm not a fan of it but yeah there okay. you go and you and you have to be our age to even remember that because there's that's there's right kids listening right now what the hell's tang okay that that's right it kept the scurry away though so or scurvy there you go so um i don't question um even when you look at the data in terms of uh of customers that are running 400 horsepower tractors what percentage of that horsepower are they actually using in, uh, you know, of that machine? And it's very rare that that machine gets peaked. Uh, but yet, you still do have a lot of customers that are saying more power, more power, more power, when really that should be a more of a data-driven decision instead of a, 
you know, I believe I need this. Wait, you're saying there's still the farm guy out there that's it's all about bullocks and testosterone. If there's a, if the neighbor has a 500 horse tractor, he needs a 550. So if you look at if you look at all <laughs> all industries, and let's just talk about vehicles, okay? Uh, look at what an EcoBoost can do right now, mm-hmm. uh, and a Ford F150 compared to what the V8s can do. Those things fly. I have a Ford F-150, the 3.5-liter EcoBoost, and I know that there's the side of somebody that would say, why didn't you get the bigger engine? I'm like, well, hell, it it already is more productive and more capable than the 30-year-ago version that had the 351 or 355, whatever the Ford version of a 350 is. Okay, um, let's talk about these machines. Uh, you know, you go to the Indiana State Fair, Matt, um, and it used to be they would always, a couple of the dealerships around central Indiana would stick those machines out there. And then just to shock the suburbanites, they'd put a price tag in one of yeah, those combines. Absolutely. And, you know, back when you were a kid, it's like, holy hell, they're $90,000 for that. That's worth sure. more than my house. Yeah. Right now, combines pushing half a million with both heads, oh, sure. right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the, the general rule of thumb, Damien, is about $1,000 a horsepower. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't matter what we talk about, that $1,000 a horsepower. So when we talk about a new X9, 1100 750 horsepower, about $750,000 okay. is, is the farm gate price. It's not the list price, but, but that's about what it's going to the farm gate at. Okay, so let's talk about real dollars and real, okay, what about if I wanted to buy a John Deere 4020 in 1967 when they were being produced? Did I pay uh, an equivalent amount in real dollars back then? Have they gotten more expensive? We know they've gotten more expensive. Have they gotten more expensive in real dollars? I would say they probably have. Probably have. Probably a ten percent or something like that. Increase. But do we make up for that because they're doing three times more than oh, they used absolutely. to do? Absolutely, absolutely. The return on investment is unbelievable. When we are looking at, for example, an X nine combine, um, just the number of acres that you can put through that machine on an hourly basis, it changes. It's a whole paradigm shift as to what amount of time you need to produce and harvest a crop. That, yeah, go ahead, uh, Carl. Go ahead and grab that. But yeah. you're talking about holding value. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it, there's no question. It's a tremendous investment, right? And so uh, if you're going to invest in something, you need to invest in something that you know is going to retain the value in it, right? Um, and so that's something that you have to foresee. And something you, the, these aren't just investments that you're holding on to for, you know, six months or something like that. You know, a lot of these are investments that people are going to hold on for an extended period of time or maybe two, three years or something like that before they roll into another one after they get a uh, what they consider to be a significant amount of hours. And so uh, it's it goes from not probable to impossible uh, to move into a machine where the depreciation is going to far exceed your ability to cover the acres to afford it. So what I think we're also talking about, because, uh, you know, the old timers are going to sit there and talk about how much it is, but this, the smart old timers also realize, yeah, it's more on even a per dollar on a per real dollar basis than I paid for my Oliver 1850, John Deere 4020, uh, you know, 856 International, whatever you want to put out there. But the point is, you're also getting a shitload more productivity out of that thing. It's a cost per acre. Everything is. It's a cost per acre. I mean, when we talk about yield, I mean, it's, it's down to the kernel. I mean, what is that kernel worth? How many kernels can you produce on a stalk? How many kernels can you produce on an acre? And then how do you offset um, the the expense yeah. of producing that kernel 
Um, it is absolutely a return on investment decision, and there is a significant amount of return on investment with these larger machines. Now you're just talking about the sales process. So you're out there dealing with these people. I mean, you've got 14 stores, and uh, you've got you cover a pretty good geography. You're in yep. Kentucky, Kentucky, Illinois, Tennessee, and Indiana. Okay, so you've got some pretty good geography, and I see the fleet of Hudson uh, branded uh, white pickup trucks in the parking lot out here outside this convention center. So you've got people boots on the ground. Absolutely. Tell me about selling to these people what's it look like now i mean i i have my hobby farm and i rent my ground out and i know what it's like but i want to hear about it from your perspective you go out there to the farm um is it even come down to kicking tires and haggling around or is it really more about consultative i, I mean yeah. i can't imagine it's it's not used car sales anymore is no, it no that is why carl is so carl's team is such a big part of the decision making process it is 100 percent consultative selling you uh, are always trying to foresee the future needs of an operation. It could be diversity of crops, mm -hmm. diversity of business interests. Um, we, we see every day people saying, hey, I've done pretty well. I've made some money. I've acquired some more land, but I also have other business interests. Now I need to improve my efficiencies on producing a crop just because my other biz business interests are pulling me in a different direction. So it's 100% consultative. Okay, so what's the sale selling process look like? Because, like I said, I it's not it's ain't used car sales. This ain't out there kicking tires and, and all that. Granted, they're shopping around. They're on their phones. They're, they're they know what's going on. What's it look like now? It's a, them saying it looks like I need this many horsepower and I need this kind of technology and I need this. And then boom, you talk about a lot of stuff probably beyond uh, the engine. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say the simplest, you know, high level way to say it is. Um, you know, Matt's going to focus uh, a lot on the asset value and the return um, and the cost, you know, per acre and uh, horsepower, uh, which he referred to earlier, um, and, and building the partnership with that customer and helping them to understand uh, how we're going to meet their need from a service aspect, but also um, an employee need aspect. Okay. Uh, so when we talk about mainstreaming, which is uh, the word we threw out earlier, that's not only through our dealership, but that's through our customer as well. And so, uh, we have to take the product uh, that's coming from deer and we have to help build it into the culture of their business as well. If, if their operator uh, does not believe in the value of that technology or uh, doesn't know how to use it effectively, uh, then that's, you know, that's not a significant to value to us. Right. Uh, so a lot of it is, is understanding the need from, uh, from Matt and his team of placing the product correctly in the hands and then uh, coming up with effective ways to train these operators to make sure that, uh, they believe and have faith in uh, what the machine is doing because a lot of it is, you know, we go back to the difference of the forty twenty or whatever is trusting the display uh, and having faith in it and believing like it is. Uh, you know, uh, I've got some friends that are pilots and things like that, and they try to get IFR rated, which means you can fly through the clouds, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, this is a, it's no different than that in a lot of ways. If if that that makes a connection with some people listening, is you know. You have to believe and have faith in what it is telling you to know that the data is making uh, decisions for you that are believable, and you validate those in the field. But uh, you have to trust, and we're getting into a point now where you have to trust that the machine is capable of making very educated decisions based upon the data points it's collecting. And that takes, that takes some time in the seat, and that takes some understanding and some validating in the field for them to see what's actually happening. 
By the way, you're talking to Carl Hubner and Matt Ramage with Hudson Inc. They are uh, John Deere dealers in uh, four states. And we're talking about technology, and I think it's a good time to bring this up, dear listener and viewer. I've got a new project I'm working on, and if you are a progressive, successful-minded farmer, I would like you to check this out. There's a group called Extreme Ag. ExtremeAg.farm is their website, and they have uh, trials going on all the time with all sorts of new products, and they're they're experimenting with new things. These are yield-setting, successful, progressive, generally large-scale farmers, and uh, they enlisted me, and they said, Damien, we want you to help tell our story and talk about some of the great things we're doing here some of these product trials. So you be looking for the Extreme Ag Cutting the Curve podcast, which I am hosting and producing on their behalf. And in the meantime, go to extremeag.farm. So stay tuned. It's something that I'm doing specifically for production agriculture. So if you are a farmer, I want you to check this out. So extremeag.farm is our website, and I'll be hosting and producing, which I've already been doing. And we're going to start releasing those here very, very soon, or maybe even by the time you're hearing this podcast, they are released. So stay tuned. Anyway, um, Let's talk about now uh, the future. Before we get to the future, let's talk about the current. Um, Things got crazy. Mm. Um, I drive by the General Motors pickup truck plant when I uh, landed the Fort Wayne Airport on my way to my farm there in Huntington, Indiana. They have trucks literally stacked like cordwood around that property. I mean... And it's because I'm told the damn truck is made. Yeah. It's lacking one thing. Yeah. And what's it lacking? Yeah. We've heard transmission control units, engine control units, chips. We've heard all sorts of stuff. Yeah, electri- some sort of electrical, some sort of electronic thing. There's something that them trucks need. And those trucks, I honest to God, thousands and thousands and thousands of trucks are sitting there. And I'm like, okay, they're made. Whatever they're waiting on, um, no wonder we got a glut. Same thing happening with the... Uh, Farm machinery? Yeah, absolutely. So you've got stuff that it needs a chip or a wave for a wafer or something. What's going absolutely. on? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's really a semiconductor shortage. Um, but it doesn't just start with the fact that there's not enough semiconductors. Everybody looks around and says, "Well, just make some more semiconductors." I mean, how hard right. process right, can right, this be? Right. But it goes back to the 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 ingredients to to bake the cake you have to have the ingredients to bake the cake so in the event of a semiconductor shortage this goes all the way back to 12 months ago when covid was really set in and the pandemic was affecting the globe and all these emerging market economies like uh, india uh, china uh, malaysia it, those folks that depend on the batter to make the cake they weren't getting it from the mines. The mines even shut down. The rare earth mines that manufacture all those critical uh, rare earth metals to manufacture semiconductors. So, what's so. the impact at the farm level? Uh, you know, I want to. I want. I need a piece of machinery. I can't get it. Yeah. Absolutely. Is it really? Is it? It is po- that. I mean, you. I mean, your fourteen stores. Do you have? Are they sitting vacant? So we, we've been lucky. We had a lot of stuff ordered in advance. Some of that stuff is finally getting sourced and manufactured. Um, but we are selling it off the truck. Yes, when you go to the store, the store looks vacant. Looks like we're out of business because everything that comes in is pre-sold. Uh, most cases, it's pre-sold 9 to 12 months in advance right now. And, um, yeah, the availability of units is, is unbelievable. So this happened in World War II. If your parents were World War II era folks like mine were, they talked about, my God, yeah, you know, then it got to where you, you, you not only wanted a pickup truck, yeah. you needed a pickup truck. Right. And you didn't get one until 
three years after the war ended, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Are we two and three years out from the machinery? Because surely so. we can we can ramp up the John yeah. Deere manufacturing facilities, sure. can't we? Yeah, they've got the capacity. They have the people to do the work. As a matter of fact, John Deere is actually letting some of their employees go to other vendors to work like a sabbatical to take their vacation from John Deere, take a paid vacation, and go to a vendor that needs the help, that needs to manufacture a semiconductor or a chip or a transmission control module, whatever may be the fact. Um, But I do not think that we are three years away from this disequilibrium getting back to an equilibrium. I think we're probably only a year away. Okay. By the way, we're listening. In case you're listening to this, we are recording this at the end of July, 2021. So remember that Matt Ramage said that you can look him up if he's wrong. So yeah, you can. Yeah. My forecast is no, no later than November of 2022. We'll Which is see. still a hell of a long way out it's there. A long way I mean, it's still, you're talking it's a full 15, crop 16 year. months. It's a full crop. It's a full crop year and then a little bit of, and a lot of angst. Okay. Yeah. Um, what else is happening out here in the future? Because, you know, we got an administration here in the United States, and this is kind of happening the globe over. Uh, environment, environment, environment. Climate crisis, climate, 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 you know, create a crisis. Um, fuel. We use a boatload of fuel. Uh, granted, the machines are more efficient on a per acre, per horsepower basis, right, than they were. That John Deere 4020, everybody loves. Was it efficient? Yes. So there were a lot of efficiencies with a 4020. Um, Are we better now? It, uh, oh, yeah, much better. <laughs> much better, sure. There, there were a lot of efficiencies back then, and we've evolved and obviously made horsepower efficiencies and hydraulic power efficiencies um, exponentially better. But, um, but certainly there were some efficiencies then that we had overcome from the early 20s. Okay, so we still use a lot of diesel. You know, getting, yeah. getting down that field, we still use a lot of horsepower. And then we used to put def in it. Is that something we still have to do? This whole, what's this, diesel exhaust fluid something, right? Right. Uh, what's it look like from an environmental standpoint? What's going to happen? What are we going to do proactively? And what are we going to do out of regulatory issues, Matt? Carl. There you go. So... I mean, look, there. I think we have to be wise and make more data-driven decisions in regards to uh, our true horsepower need, um, and and really just look at the data and see if if uh, if we're even using all the horsepower we we even have in the machines that we currently own. I think some of it too just gets back into. Um, you know, understanding uh, some some basics in agronomy on the farms. Um, you know, we're, we have a tremendous amount of no-till around here, and that fits some farms very well. There's a tremendous amount of cover crops around here, and that fits some farms very well. And so I think it's making those style decisions um, and also understanding that um, given you teed it up with, you know, saying the current administration and, and kind of the push that we're currently having right now, I, I believe uh, it is uh, – either pass the house and going to the Senate or vice versa. I could be wrong in regards to, um, you know, um, paying in regards to, uh, you know, carbon. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I forget the name of the bill right now. It slipped my mind, but, um, so this will, this will be a hurdle we're going to have to overcome and figure out what this looks like in the details and how that's going to be linked back to farms and, uh, marrying that up with your actual as applied data that you created off that farm and, you know, validating all this data that's come through, especially when there's a lot of farms that, A, they don't even have boundaries for these farms because they never took the time to do that. So when we talk about today, not only is, hey, there's, yeah, there's a deficit in product, right? And there's issues mm-hmm. there. Uh, but if you want to really take care of yourself today and you want to make sure you're ready for whatever may come, if you're interested in, uh, you know, in, in, in carbon credit dollars or, 
or anything along those lines, uh, boundarying your acres and making sure uh, through good boundaries, uh, either RTK or something equivalent, uh, and making sure that your family farm tree structure is healthy uh, and you're using that. All right, let's talk about the fact that, and he's out here in sales, so Matt, you can take the uh, microphone on this one. All right, um, we used to go out there, moldboard plow and disc, Maybe disc another time. Yeah. Field cultivator. Sure. Maybe field cultivate another time. Then we plant. Then we go out there and cultivate through the rows. Then we we'd spray a couple of times. We pretty well drove that field to where it was about like a road. Oh, absolutely. Now we're pretty darn good. We're really smart about staying off of that ground. Uh, these old timers still like to recreational till. I don't know why. I guess they just like to smell a turn dirt or wasting money or or eroding and destroying their soil structure. But anyway, I'm, I'm fairly uh, against all the tillage that's being done. But the point is, even those that are doing recreational tillage are putting a lot less hours on that piece of equipment. That's is right. that why now it's more about climate uh, programs and precision programs and uh, modules and the technology? Because we're not just turning the hours on the equipment so much? It, it, it does have a, a big bearing on it, without a doubt. The, the managing the soil, the soil health is what it all comes back to and you can compact soil and people say oh but i I run track equipment i don't compact the soil but at the same time they're the first one in the field mudding up you Uh, know everything and compacting the soil with track equipment you can do it with any type of equipment but it does it all comes down to the environment that exists in that soil and that soil health and we we um that's one of the efficiencies that certainly are gained by this bigger equipment. The bigger equipment has a bigger footprint. Mm -hmm. We, we talk about it all day long, every day. What's your tire choice, right? Mm -hmm. What's your ballast choice? Uh, It's not just about horsepower. It's how much weight you're actually putting per square inch. Per square inch. That's right. Um, What about the fact that you're not, you know, you're not putting the hours on the piece of equipment. You know, I know farm guys are like, hell, this would have had three times the hours on it 35, 40 years ago, the way we used to farm. So that equipment does last a little longer, uh, but you guys are making money and still and still serving the customer that's by right. adding a bunch more stuff. So a bunch more stuff. That's right. The technology is where it's at. So we have customers that will give a testimonial today that they used to have to run two sprayers to spray their farm. Now, with the advantage of nozzle control technology, right. they have reduced one complete sprayer. That's not just a sprayer depreciating that's a man and a sprayer payment so it's the technology is changing so much or a woman remember we're very open-minded here that's on the business true. of agriculture that's podcast true. we're not about we're not about gender specific you know whatever it's okay yes hey uh let's talk about then the um, the the technology um the extreme ag guys i had a uh, uh, you know, an episode I was recording with them for their Cutting the Curve podcast that they're going to be rolling out here. And he's a smart guy, 10,000-acre operator. He's very uh, precision-oriented. And he said, used to be that if the yield monitor wasn't working, I didn't give a damn. That machine's got to go. It's when go. it's time to harvest, you, you know, get this stuff harvested, get it, get it in the bin because we're going to have weather. And he said, that machine now will not go because that data is so important because it does it starts with yield monitor and then that's how we extrapolate it and do the overlay on nutrients and on on, on all Absolutely. that. I don't know that that's still the way most farm operators think. What do you think? No, it's probably not the way that most farm operators think. We do have a lot of those. Um, you've already said it. Early adopters that are on that type of. Um, a plan where they want 
to um, make sure that all the data layers are there. Yep. But with with the technology offering from John Deere, we do not require all that stuff to be in place for you to go ahead and make that machine work. And beautifully enough, now with the shortage of some of the technology equipment that uh, we should have and we don't have, we're probably going to see some units go to the field, Harvest 2021, that will not have all, not have all the, the data collection stuff. Yeah. All right, my man Carl, i got a question for you. We talked about environmental stuff, and we're more efficient, you know, the, the engines are, et cetera. Electric vehicles are coming. Uh, you know, even California, they, they don't even have electricity in California. The citizens have to suffer through forced brownouts, and they can't even have their air conditioning on. But that's the same state that says that in 14 years they're going to mandate electric cars. <laughs> are we going to see electric tractors? a big difference yeah so um i think everything crawls before it walks and it's run and it runs it's no different than full autonomy right i think we have this uh grand you know idea of uh, we're going to go full autonomy tomorrow but there has to be some graduation process into this to some extent um for example if your boundaries aren't correct the machine doesn't know where to go and and everything is based on some extent to machine learning right and graduating into that so now back into the question of of electric most likely it'll probably go with electric hubs to assist um so for traction and things like that um with a power generation unit um uh, kind of a, a front a front wheel assist type thing something like that that's more effective and probably far more efficient um but full-on electric day one most likely not uh, it, it could graduate into that eventually once that becomes so you're more seeing effective. some electric components uh, some electric aspect to it from an efficiency standpoint but it's it's not going to happen anytime in our lifetime or anytime oh, no, soon. No, I'm, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen in our lifetime i believe well it depends on how long you're gonna live carl how long yeah. you all live i, I mean know. you look like you I look just, i just want to outlive you, you damien that's all i know <laughs> you, you, you you look healthy but all, you know if you keep sassing me your lifespan goes down that's the thing you, you never you never know it's a card game we're just playing poker here um, consolidation. Biden administration comes out here a couple weeks ago and says there's anti-competitive issues in f- these five industries. We're going to smack them down. And agriculture is one of the five industries. Sure. And uh, I don't know anti-competitive, but I would say there's certainly consolidation of of uh, producers. And I don't, I don't mean of the farm producers. I mean of, of even the products we need. Four big chemical companies, uh, four big grain handling companies, four or five big meat packers control uh, 90 plus percent of all the meat processing in the United States. And then you got Case, New Holland, and you got John Deere, and you got Agco. Mm-hmm. Really global companies. That's right. Uh, but by golly, if you want to buy a tractor... Those three have a, a pretty big amount of the market share. Are you guys going to get broken up? Yeah, I don't see that. I, don't I just don't. I, I do see that there is some um, so, some probably unnecessary consolidation. But when you look at the most recent history, just with John Deere's attempt, attempted acquisition of present, precision planning, right. I think there will be more blockage of – um, any additional consolidation? Sure, but, but they're not going to go ahead and break it. Up. No, we're, we're not going to be John, Teddy Roosevelt trust busters where we're going to take John right. Deere and crack it into nine companies. Sure. What about? Go ahead. Yeah, I don't mind speaking on that just real quickly. Look, that's in every industry mm-hmm. uh, consolidation to a lot of extents. When you look at uh, technology companies in general, how many cell phone companies can you buy a cell phone from today? Yeah, about three or four. Okay, there you go. Right. So, also of those companies that had, that have made it in our large scale. Of those companies, which ones are really willing to throw out the opportunistic risk in cash for new technology? That is a tremendous investment right. in being a technology company. 
these companies are moving, and I say uh, all equipment companies in this when I'm putting them in this hat, are moving from equipment companies into technology companies with sensors uh, and writing code, and they're all trying to figure out how to do it. This is a tremendous investment, and they're all trying to figure out how to do it, and it's going to be very challenging for a a small new equipment company to take that on and try to make that happen, especially in the world where our consumer and no different than, than you referenced in, in your book, Food Fear, where, where we're talking about consumers that are very conscious of how things are grown, how mm-hmm. things are produced. And I think that's the message that has to really come out more is look at how much more efficient, look at how much more effective we are in what's been created and the advancements that not only we are capitalizing on here in America, but what we have given to South America and what we've given to all these other countries because mm-hmm. we're competing in a world economy, right? What about, yeah, I agree. Now, um, let's talk about autonomous machinery. You know, um, uh, Sometimes old dogs don't learn new tricks very well. That's for sure. Uh, I saw the I saw the first go around from uh, Case and from John Deere, and they looked like they took a seventy five year old engineer and said, "Hey, make this tractor autonomous." And he went, he went and cut the cab off. He and actually said, That's went and watched the Jetsons first, and then he yeah, to- right. Um, and then Dot, that our buddy Rob Syke was involved with. I believe that and I'm going to talk about it here with your people today. I believe the future looks a lot more like that. You know, that, does that favor a Tesla? coming in in other words we know case new holland and john deere and uh and agco control the large tractor industry really they do right yep absolutely is there room for a tesla to bump in i think with, there is. from an autonomous machinery I, I, thing absolutely and i think that's the way that technology is today is new technology there's lots of opportunity to enter a market a big company like a cnh like a fent uh, a John Deere, they're too hard to steer. It's not agile, where you could take a new company like a Dot mm-hmm. or some un- unknown mm-hmm. automation company today and mm-hmm. enter the marketplace very inexpensively. Yeah, so I, I think that also. All right, what did we not talk about today? And we talk about, because I think it's always fun to look forward, and you guys especially coming in from, it's harder, I think, for the kid that grew up out there on the machinery floor with dad pushing his little toy tractor around and said, yep, I've been in the machinery business for 58 years. I think it's harder for him to actually look out five and 10 years and say, boom, folks like us that aren't really in it, we've been around it, and now you're in it. What do you see happening that a lot of folks in the industry maybe even don't? Yeah, well, without a doubt, within the equipment business, we're going to continue to see consolidation. Um there will be less mom and pop dealers. Yeah. Now that the thing is, that gives a lot more power to the dealers. Hudson yeah, has oh, more absolutely. power when it when it was A and H implement down the hill from my farm. The one little uh, John Deere dealer there in Huntington, Indiana, they couldn't go to John Deere and say, "Hey, you know what? Here's how you're going to do things," because yeah. they'd say, "Who the hell are you?" When you're talking about ownership that controls, you know, dealerships in six, five, fifteen states. All of a sudden, there's a little more power on your end. Absolutely. Is that a good thing? It is a good thing. Is it a good thing for the customer? It is. It's the best thing for the customer. Because Um, the customer now says, hey, John Deere used to push me around, but now I I got Hudson fighting for my side. You have somebody to push back. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, Hudson has has grown to the point that Hudson carries a pretty big stick. And we actually can get responses from John Deere. And it's not just about equipment availability or the sales side. It's about my my whatever won't work and we can get answers we can get support uh, yep. from john deere to make things work. right because you're not an instrument and carl speaking of big sticks do you think that 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 
is created a level of arrogance where Carl was sort of smart mouthing me a little bit ago, where it looked like it was going to get physical. It looked like it was going to get physical. It's just the arrogance. Anyway, you Carl. didn't feel that threatened. Come on now. <laughs> I'm easily intimidated. That's he's he's like a foot taller than me. And if you're if you're listening to this. All right. So anyway, go ahead. I'm the youngest of nine kids. I, I I've been fighting since I was little. I don't scare easily. Um, okay. So. What do you think when you look at that future thing? Because I think it's it's fun for you've only been in the industry for ten or eleven years, meaning you came from a different aspect of agriculture. What are you seeing that maybe some of your peers that have been doing this for their entire career aren't seeing? What are you seeing that they might be seeing? So I I'd start here um, first and foremost. I think a lot of uh, farmers today, farmer customers today, uh, pride themselves on their ability to go into their shop and find a specific tool right uh, and they view that as the most efficient way to run their business if something's broke down right uh, in my opinion they're going to have to be the exact same way with software they're going to have to be able to log into software find that as applied data that spray map that harvest data from whatever year whatever field whatever pass and be able to make an effective decision or solution from that uh, pretty quickly so it's it's having the person or creating the skill set within that person uh, to be able to manage data, to be able to make effective decisions that are timely. Not something that I'll look at this in the winter. It's in real time. Let me also go with this one. Uh, two things, and then we're going to wrap it up. We're going a little long, but this is great stuff because it's the future, and this is you know, and we and farmers love equipment. You know, that's the other thing. We got the Louisville Machinery Show. You, you almost it reminds me of those farmers. Remind me of little children at Christmas time. They're just walking around, their tongue hanging out. They're just that excited. That's right. Uh, part of the other aspect of the Biden administration's anti-competitive was, if all things, it brought up about farmers being allowed to fix their own equipment, and I thought. Good God, is that really something that we're talking about in, inside the White House? Talk to me about that, Carl. It's technology. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that, uh, and, and I know, you know, Hudson totally uh, believes that, uh, you know, farmers should have the ability to, to fix, you know, the right to repair. We have no issue with uh, anybody fixing their own piece of machinery, uh, you know, and we'll offer parts and support for that. Uh, have a support center line that you can call in at one eight four four Hudson's, and we'll support you to the best of our ability in any way we can. Um, uh, the The only thing in this that should be considered and should be brought up is uh, when you try to hack your iPhone. Now that's a problem, right? But now when you want to hack into your Gen Four display or your twenty six thirty, right? That that you know all of a sudden that sh- that that should be allowed. And I think there are certain safety concerns in my mind around that uh now that's uh, apart from you know hudson that's apart from everything else that's just my belief around being around the display because when you call into the support center now and i don't know that you've done that uh, now that opens a whole new can of worms for the advice that we have to give you uh, given that we don't know what you've done in there and you may not even know what you've done in there right so overall and 100 percent fix everything you can possibly fix and we want to support you in that venture today, brings so. me to my last uh carl We'll have you pass the microphone over to our man, Matt. Let's bring my last topic. There are folks that discuss the future of everything and say, you're not going to own anything in the future and you're going to like it. Now, I, I, that goes against my very core as a farm owner, property owner, and also youngest nine kids. I don't like sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like my own stuff. But let's talk about the subscription mindset. Uh, there are car companies that, you know, they did leases. Yeah. yeah, after three years, get rid of it. It's something different. Now they're talking about, hey, you can have a subscription. Essentially, you want to drive this model yeah. for the next three months, then go to the next thing. 
Is that going to happen in tractors and combines and farm machinery? Because it's a lot of expensive stuff sitting in the tool sheds of America's farms. Will it get to where you don't really own it? You just subscribe to it? Yeah, I can't imagine that. Have happening. you heard this before I brought yeah, it up? So that's something. I, am I at the I cutting edge? This. No, I have heard this before. <laughs> yes, I am at the cutting edge, damn it. You are, yes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say no to cutting edge, but yes, I have heard of this. But this is not something that I can ever imagine happening in my lifetime. And I think it is almost... Tax implications, Carl says, yeah, is part sure, of it. Yeah, because you're talking about huge amounts of capital expenditure, but then they could yeah. change the capital. They could change the law on, on, on that. Go ahead. What else? And then it just farm equity. I mean, I, I, we we basically pride ourselves on producing a crop not with cash, but with equity. That is borrowing power. So you, it's kind of like saying a subscription to land. There is no difference. It's all inputs. Yeah. No matter if it's anhydrous ammonia, liquid nitrogen, land, or equipment, they are all inputs. And so building equity in those inputs. Um, is, is critical to the future. Go ahead. Yeah, last thought on that subscriptions versus because you know the argument can be made uh, like right now. There's young kids that I, when I was 16, I wanted my driver's license so badly I could taste it, so I could get in the in an old car or the I got in the farm truck and drove all the time when I was 14 anyway. But finally, I could go into town legally. There's 19 year olds that don't have a driver's license. Oh well, I'll just take an Uber. So there are some things that are changing, and there's people that I know they're 25. It's like, well, do you have a car? No. Like, how do you get around? Does that mindset come to the 25 year old farm guy that says, ah, we don't need to own all that stuff. Grandpa always thought we need to own all that, but I think we just subscribe to it. I, I'm just trying to think. Does this happen? Yeah. So I think there's no question that the equity position of younger. Uh, farmers, um, you know, is, is something that's challenging, right? Um, do they pay for horsepower? Do they pay for hours on machines and things like that to try to help offset some of the costs? And uh, yeah, and, and I believe that's probably a healthier route to go. If you're going to if you're going to pay for an annual subscription on anything, it should be your activations uh, and things like that. Activations. Right. Uh, just so that way. What's that mean? Uh, so the software that's on the display okay. that helps you with your guidance. Okay. Uh, just to be very general. So rent that, rent that stuff rather than own it. That's right. Because year over year, there's always additions to it. There's always upgrades. If you look at how many um, notifications you get pushed from your iPhone manufacturer or from your whatever platform. But you think the equipment itself is still going to be owned in the next foreseeable future. We're not going to get to where it's just fleets of unowned stuff. Uh, I, I agree with that 100%. I think that, you know, that's not to say that uh, younger or uh, or some farmers that are in, in a, you know, the equity position or uh, only need a certain piece of equipment for a period of time uh, couldn't pay for the, their hour usage on it. But in mass general, uh, I believe the healthiest uh, thing to do is to own the piece or to lease the piece. There's no question. Last thought on that or anything else, Matt, and then we're going to wrap it up here because we went a little long, but you know what? Again, when you talk about machinery, everybody, and I'm not even a farm, I'm not even really a true farmer, but I, I love my Kubota 50-horse tractor. And by the way, that whole thing, they don't make them like they used to. Bullshit. They make them better. My Kubota 50-horse tractor is 10 times the, the machine that I was I was raised operating uh, growing up there on that dairy farm. So I uh, I agree. Kubota, great competitor, great product, but I think it's un-American. <laughs> it explains um, a lot, Damien. It does. It, <laughs> it, it says a lot. a lot about you. Um, maybe but, my friends, maybe my friends with John Deere could, uh, you know, work something out for I, me. I then. think we could probably work something. All right, out. go ahead. But the, I think the most amazing thing that we have talked about, just in this recap of where we're at today in 2021, is we've talked about 
words like mainstreaming, mm-hmm. early adopters. And all this comes back to this bell curve that is, um, you know, the, the adoption of technology. And it's something that exists in our lives every day. We don't exist without some piece of technology in our pockets. Right. And, and it's affecting every single aspect of our life and our food supply of all things is being affected by technology yep last thought here my friend carl yeah i wouldn't mind commenting on that so um you know the the simple fact of it is is that my phone um and my watch and my ipad know not only my heart rate but my general activity during the day and when i get up and leave this building they're going to give me directions to what it believes is my next destination and so as we start thinking about what's coming next and the value in having like equipment of a uh, sprayer, you know, combine and planner and the smart technology that they're going to gain from one another, um, not just as far as the planner saying, hey, my, my ride quality suffered through this area and telling the sprayer, hey, you might want to increase your, your rate or something like that through this area in case we have a stand issue or, or whatever it might be. That's what's coming next for us very quickly. Uh, and so it backs into what Matt is saying, what we started here with mainstreaming. The only way uh, that a dealer is going to be able to support this is through a dealer that has been um, uh, really well-virtued in regards to helping the technician understand how to fix it, helping the salesperson understand what they're selling and value of it, but overall, less moving away from a product and understanding the solution that's coming in the offering. Yeah, it, it's the, the whole, you're essentially saying this, this industry changes from it used to be, we got to get and come out and change your oil and make sure that the, the gaskets don't leak, to now it's... We're nine layers beyond that. Really, really. <laughs> the gaskets don't leak and the engine's fine. We got that part handled. Now it's going to be about the stuff inside the cab and the data and the the efficiencies and yeah. and all that. Yeah, the forty twenty never told you how good your operator was. Right. Yeah. Got it. All right. His name is Carl Hubner. Uh, despite there about the mid part of the podcast when he got very disagreeable, he's one. I, I have a feeling he's one of those millennial kids. And so this one happens. And then uh, my man, Matt Ramage. Matt is the VP of sales there at Hudson. What else, Carl? Go ahead. I'll let you get last word in. No, it's fine. I just can't get over how much hair gel you use. Oh, man. See? <laughs> and so so if you're a listener and not a viewer, now that's right there. If you're saying, wait a minute, I've never actually watched this guy's hair gel. So go on the uh, Damian Mason channel on YouTube and hit subscribe, and you can see all my stuff, hair gel and all. His name is Matt Ramage, VP of Sales for Hudson. His name's Carl Huber. He's in charge of Precision at Hudson. If they want to find you because they say, hey, that was a really good podcast, and also I want to know one little question or I have a, I have a question for you, how do they find you? Yeah, website, uh, you can hit me at uh, uh, khubner uh, at hudsoninc.com. Or and, the, and the website is Hudson, Hudson with a I, T, not a D. Yes, Hud- Hudson's the river with a D, but Hudson, the dealership, is a H-U-T-S-O-N, and they find you Hudson. Yep, hudsoninc.com, and you can find us there. Um, 18 locations in Michigan, 12 in the south. And last thing I would like to say. Oh, that's the, by the way, they, they said that uh, I kept saying 14 dealerships. That's because they just are acquiring all the ones up north. So this, this is a company that's... Uh, getting bigger by the minute that's right uh, i did really enjoy your book uh food fear i just wanted to throw that out there and let you know i'm not uh not the huge fan of, of books along those lines but did listen to it uh on the in the truck with all my driving and everything and i think it's fantastic for people that have a general to not a great knowledge of agriculture or family that don't uh, it's a great way to cover a lot of ground quickly and bring them up to speed on the rumors the myths and the lies and the smoke screens and mirrors of agriculture so i really you did a great job of, i appreciate you saying that we're friends after all his name is matt his name is carl my name is damian mason thank you very much till next time it's the business of agriculture thank you for tuning into the business of agriculture podcast sponsored by land trust
Land Trust partners with farmers and ranchers to capture pure profit from sportsmen seeking new experiences and places to hunt and fish. Land Trust built the platform and does the marketing. You maintain 100% control of access and activities, and you set the rules. There's no cost or obligation when you list, and the next 10 Business of Agriculture listeners who go to landtrust.com BOA are eligible for a gift worth over $2,000.